This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. The next talk is, is, uh, is important for two reasons. Um, and, and we're going to be presenting a, a talk on basics of prostate cancer, immunology, and immunotherapeutics. Everyone is interested in immunotherapy. And it's in its very, very early days in prostate cancer, as opposed to other diseases. And so we want to demystify that a little bit um, so that people understand the basics of immunotherapy. The details of it will then be discussed later in a, in a later se section on therapeutics. Um, the other reason this session is important um, is that um, we're very proud at, at UCSF of um, showing, you know, old folks like me and Peter the door, and bringing in the amazing new generation. I mean, we are a university. We train the next gen. And uh, uh, David O is just that, that kind of a person. Dr. O uh, works with Dr. Uh, Larry Fong, who many of you know, who is probably the country's leading prostate cancer immunologist and immunotherapist. And so uh, Dr. O has been uh, tasked with, with giving you guys the basics. So David, thank you for being here. Okay. Um, first of all, I just want to take this opportunity to thank uh, the organizers and you guys for having me here. Uh, so I'll be doing a whirlwind tour of uh, immuno immunology, some basics, and immunotherapy for prostate cancer. So, you know, what is immunotherapy? You'll hear that term a lot. I mean, immunotherapy is a, is a basket term for any therapy that is trying to boost your own immune system as a patient to try to fight your, your, your prostate cancer. So, you know, my goal in this talk is to really um, give you the tools to basically understand where immunotherapy is coming from. So I'll touch upon two points. First, um, some basics on, you know, immunology and kind of the relationship between cancer and your immune system. And then I'll briefly touch upon uh, some evidence where immunotherapy has been shown to have some activity or work in prostate cancer. And, um, you know, because a lot of this has been studied in metastatic disease, that's where um, most of my talk will be focused. So immunotherapy, you know, you've heard a lot about it. Um, this slide is really just to show you that um, this um, really um, is the result of more than a century of work. And um, I think for a long time, people have been interested in, you know, how the immune system interacts with cancer and can we use that as a tool. Um, the details of the slide are not important. This is really meant to show that there was really more than a century of both really basic understanding of how the immune system works, as well as um, some, you know, um, studies in patients to try to get us to this point where immunotherapy is more of a reality. Um, so this is kind of the present day here, and this is just to point out, and I'll touch upon this later, that really um, the first FDA-approved immunotherapy for a solid cancer was Provenge, uh, so um, kind of a vaccine for prostate cancer. Um, so in some ways, prostate cancer led the way, but there's still a lot of work to be done. And you might have heard about some of these other advances in the news or the, the press, whether it's these CAR therapies, which I won't have time to talk about, or checkpoint inhibitors, and I will touch upon those later and how those are relevant for prostate cancer. 
So first, I think some basics. So what is the immune system? The immune system is actually, um, it's, it's a distributed system throughout your body, and it's primarily composed of cells that circulate in your bloodstream and in your tissues. So there are different types of cells with different functions um, that really patrol your body, and obviously these evolve to fight off infections. Um, you know, basically, you can kind of group these into two big categories. So there's a whole group of cells here, which are what are called innate immune cells. And these are kind of like your foot soldiers, your first responders. So if there's an insult, if there's an infection, there's something, you know, these guys rush in really fast. Um, it's not necessarily that they recognize specific things, but they're rapid responders. Once you turn them on, they do a specific thing, and they kind of go away. So first response. Obviously, there are some problems with that, um, but you know, if there's that initial response, what happens later on is that that can lead to what is called adaptive immunity. And so when you hear about cancer immunotherapy, a lot of times uh, we're talking much more about this adaptive arm. Now, the heavy lifters in the adaptive category are these cells, which are called T cell, uh, B cells, and T cells. So um, the immunotherapy approaches that I'll talk about kind of build upon these cells and their activities. You know, T cells, uh, what they do is they can either kind of provide help to support further immune activation. Um, these other types of cells, which are called cytotoxic cells, can directly kill, for example, tumor cells. There are also these B cells that can produce these antibodies. Antibodies can tag or latch onto things, including cancer cells, and try to um, eliminate them as well. The point of adaptive immunity is that these guys are a little slow, um, slow on the takes, so they can take a little while to pick up, but they have a couple of very unique properties. One is that, unlike these guys, they can recognize specific targets, which we call antigens. The other really intriguing property is that these cells have memory. In other words, uh, once you stimulate a response to a particular target or antigen, they can remember it. So that's very useful, obviously. So this is to summarize what I was just saying. Um, the innate immune response is very fast, first line, first line foot soldiers, but they don't necessarily recognize specific things and it goes away. The adaptive immune response can recognize specific targets or antigens, and it is possible to develop lifelong immunity to the same target. So I want to introduce this concept because this is very useful for understanding how immunotherapies might work. And this is really meant to show how tumors interact with your immune system. So this kind of yellow blob here is, is meant to be a tumor cell. When the tumor cell dies, it kind of sheds parts of itself, and those are actually eaten up by these immune cells called dendritic cells. They basically chop up things derived from tumors, and they kind of present those targets, those antigens that come from tumors on the surface, kind of like flags. So they get turned on, they get activated, they end up showing parts of the tumor antigens to the rest of the body to say, you know, these are things that you should recognize. So they actually um, kind of have a marriage. They meet with T cells. If there's a T cell that can recognize those targets in this what's called priming phase, the T cells get turned on. They make a lot more of themselves. The T cells go back in a cycle to the tumor and try to kill that tumor that expresses those targets. So in a way, I think we understand now that um, cancer um, can really exploit or result from a breakdown in the immune system in various parts of this cycle. So now I'm going to tell you about some of these therapies I highlighted and different points in this cycle where they actually are thought to interact. The first is going to be Provenge, which is really meant to kind of, you know, uh, intervene at this point of the activation of dendritic cells and T cells, okay? So Provenge... Uh, 
is kind of the generic name. It also has this longer name, Sapulacel T, which is kind of a mouthful. Um, again, this is an FDA-approved immunotherapy for metastatic cancers, um, prostate cancer that has stopped responding to hormones. This is really showing you the schematic of how this is made. Um, the important point of Provenge is that this is what's called an autologous immune therapy. So in many ways, this kind of led the way because this is a therapy that is made from every single patient's own immune cells. So it's pretty neat that way. Um, what happens is that you know you basically go in first, and through a process called leukapheresis, they extract these immune cells from your bloodstream. It gets shipped off to a laboratory where those cells are then stimulated to try to recognize prostate cancer antigens or targets. And then that whole product is basically infused back into the patient's bloodstream as the therapy. This cycle repeats every couple of weeks for two more infusions. Um, I'll get to this later, but so what's going back into the patient is actually a mixed product. It's a lot of different immune cell types that have been stimulated in a dish. So where did this approval come from? Um, so Provenge um, has demonstrated a survival benefit in multiple uh, randomized phase three trials. So phase three, well, you know, Dr. Agrawal will talk more about this, but this is the highest level of ed evidence where patients were randomly assigned to either receive Provenge or placebo, so no active treatment. And this is kind of the curve from one of those trials. You'll see much more of these curves, but this is in some ways one of the things that matters, which is the overall survival of patients. So the fraction of patients who are alive, and this is time going this way on the, uh, on the horizontal axis. So you can see that Provenge-treated patients had superior survival to those who did not receive active treatment. Interestingly, it didn't affect the time to PSA progression, and we can talk more about that later. Um, the point, from the patient's standpoint, the important thing is that this treatment is very well tolerated. So it frequently causes chills, fevers, and headache, but there were no serious side effects from this treatment. The other thing I'll point out is that the patients that were studied here, and this is actually where we give the Provenge and also the, the approved uh, indication, these were, this is a highly selected population. So these men were doing really well they had no symptoms or very few symptoms from their cancer. Very few of them had prior chemotherapy. And, you know, Dr. Carroll had talked about the Gleason score. Three-quarters of these men had very, uh, you know, Gleason less than or equal to seven, so kind of lower grade, less aggressive, less uh, symptomatic patients. Now, I'm not going to dwell on this slide, but I think, um, you know, we are still trying to understand exactly what Provenge does to prolong survival. Um, I think it's, it's fair to say that we know that, as I said, um, when you stimulate them in a dish, we definitely turn on the immune system. When that product goes back into patients, it does stimulate those T cells and those B cells. So there's adaptive immune cells I talked about, the adaptive immune system, and they recognize prostate cancer-specific antigens. But we're still trying to understand, I think, which of those responses provide the benefit to patients, okay? So secondly, um, you're going to hear a lot about this, so I felt it was important to, to spend some time talking about immune checkpoints. These immune checkpoints are basically breaks on the immune system that can occur to really inhibit T-cell activation, and we have developed drugs for these, um, but you know, I'll, I'll kind of give you a sense of where this is at for prostate cancer, okay? So from your standpoint, um, you know, you've probably heard about these drugs on TV because there's now direct-to-market advertising, and so you hear about Keytruda, Opdivo. These are examples of checkpoint inhibitors. Um, they have been FDA-approved for many cancer types because they've really changed the game for those. Um, however, uh, I think I'll show you some of the evidence for prostate cancer. We still have a ways to go.
So what are immune checkpoints? Um, these were not things that evolved um, so that we could treat them for cancer. Um, these were here because, you know, when you turn on the immune system to fight off infections, you need a way to turn it off, okay? So on one hand, the immune system has to control infections or pathogens, but these checkpoints have evolved to kind of turn that response off to regulate it so that you don't end up attacking your own body excessively. So, you know, where these checkpoints operate, it's in, in that cancer immune cycle I told you. It's at two phases. The first is what's called the priming phase, where you turn the T cells on. And the second phase is actually in the tumor, where the T cells are going back to the tumor and trying to kill it. So at each of those stages, there's a specific checkpoint that turns off the T cells, okay? So when you're trying to turn them on, there's one target called CTLA-4. And then in the tumor, the tumors actually engage this other thing called PD-1, which also turns off the T cells as well. So there's been evolution of ways to really inhibit your immune system in the development of cancer, including prostate cancer. So all these checkpoint inhibitors are, these are antibodies. They basically block this interaction to allow the T cells to wake up, to be reinvigorated, and to try to kill the tumor. There are multiple approved drugs in all of these classes for CTLA-4 and PD-1. And as I've said, they've uh, really um, provided benefit to a lot of other cancers like melanoma, lung cancer, but not for prostate. And this is kind of why. So I want to show this briefly. This is, again, a survival curve. This is a big trial uh, looking at an anti-CTLA-4 checkpoint inhibitor called ipilimumab or Yervoy. Here at UCSF, we actually performed the first studies in, in patients with prostate cancer where we treated them with this drug. Uh, with longer follow-up, 5 out of 42 patients had PSA responses that lasted a long time. So not great, but this was very long-lasting. So there was a large trial, there are several trials of this drug uh, versus placebo, either before or after chemotherapy, and there was no survival benefit when patients were randomized this way. Um, so this is still not an approved indication, but the point here is that there are some men who have these responses and we're still trying to figure out why. Now, you hear about these anti-PD-1 drugs. These are drugs like Keytruda or Opdiva, which are on the television. Um, some of the early evidence for these responses were that, you know, in men who failed um, this next-generation hormonal therapy, they received uh, this enzalutamide, a hormonal therapy with PD-1, and there were some patients, a small number, who had PSA drops and tumor shrinkage. Again, reminding you that these are metastatic prostate cancer patients who are no longer responding to hormones. There have now been some larger studies. There are, again, I think the take-home here is there are some responses in metastatic prostate cancer patients. So in one of these studies with Keytruda, these were men with soft tissue disease or metastases, and they were expressing this target PDL1. There definitely were responses, but you know, uh, I think this was in the range of maybe 10 to 20 percent. Um, but you know, some of these men, so this is looking at a curve of each curve as an individual patient. And this is how much shrinkage there was in their tumors. So some of these men over time have very long-lasting benefit from these uh, therapies. The other thing to point out here is that many men had stable disease like these, but they stayed on treatment for a long time, so that's still beneficial. You know, there were also some larger presentations uh, as well. And again, I think fewer than 10% of men had responses. This is actually showing the fraction of men who had a drop in PSA. There's definitely, this is about 10, less than 10%, but there are definitely that fraction of patients who do respond. 
So I, I think others will talk about this more. Who responds to these drugs? We're still figuring it out. The one thing we know for sure is uh, along the lines of this genetic or genomic testing, you know, Dr. Uh, Feng talked about DNA repair, so ways that your, uh, your body uh, can fix its own uh, damage to its blueprint. There are specific defects in DNA repair, which are called microsatellite instability, which do respect, uh, predict response to PD-1, and this is an FDA-approved indication for this drug. So regardless of cancer type, whether it's prostate, ovarian, stomach cancer, these are all approved in the metastatic setting to re receive PD-1. But other markers are still preliminary, and as I said, we're still trying to capture why it is that fraction of patients who have those deep and durable responses. Now, this is just a cautionary note, and I'm, just, I'm wrapping up here, but so I showed you evidence for both drugs individually. Well, can you combine them together and do even better? Um, there was some recent data that, yes, you can actually get tumor shrinkage and responses, if you combine both of these drugs, the CTLA-4 and the PD-1, in metastatic patients, either before or after chemotherapy, and there may be some signals, um, some markers that predict who has those responses. So I'll note that you know more than 10% of men had these responses, but I think the cautionary note is when you um, play with the immune system, I think there can be some drastic side effects. So more than a quarter of these men had to stop the treatment due to side effects. So these are tre uh, side effects where uh, the immune system attacks the own body and causes all these autoimmune side effects. So I won't have time to talk about that. There were actually treatment-related deaths in this study, um, which were thought to be related to the treatment. So this is just a cautionary note that also, as Dr. Carroll said, you don't always get an upside without a downside, okay? So my last uh, slide here is to talk about PSMA. Um, this will be covered by multiple speakers today. Uh, PSMA um, is a specific target, which is fairly specific for prostate cancer. It's an active target, both for imaging as well as therapies that are developing. So for immunotherapy, one approach that's been developed is, can we actually use PSMA as a bridge? So if we develop a molecule, an antibody, that on one hand sticks to the, the PSMA and on the other hand sticks to the T cell, can we actually use that like a staple or glue to kind of bring the immune system to your, to your tumor? Once they're there, they'll know what to do. They'll actually kill the tumor cell. Um, there is some evidence for activity, and this is ongoing. But, for example, in one trial, um, there are 16 patients who are treated with different doses of this drug. So a PSMA bispecific engager, which brings the immune system to your tumor. Three patients had shrinkage. And uh, three out of nine patients at the highest doses had pretty uh, had deep PSA responses. So, sub, you know, so suffice to say that this is ongoing, but um, this is one area that things are moving forward. Uh, finally, um, on on the theme of there's no upside without a downside. This is a hard therapy. So these men require a permanently like an indwelling catheter. It has to be infused with a pump 24/7. Almost half of these patients developed infections, which were related to having a pathway into the bloodstream. So that's it. Um, I just wanted to highlight for you that there's been a lot of progress with immunotherapy. <laughs> um, and this is a highly personalized treatment. Um, Provision is, is, is approved, and there are other therapies that are um, on the horizon. So thank you very much. So while we wait for questions, um, I, as a longtime immunotherapist myself, uh, I would, I, the, you know, the take-home messages that I have from this are the following. The first is targets are really important. We don't have a lot of targets in prostate cancer. One is PSMA. Um, 
One is what has been developed with Provenge, which is prostatic acid phosphatase. And so finding those targets is really important. And one of the reasons we've been behind in prostate cancer is that the prostate cancer just doesn't have a lot of targets. Um, so that's one take home. The second is that toxicity is variable. Provenge has no toxicity or almost no toxicity. Um, whereas some of these other immunotherapies have substantial toxicity. And I think, you know, a lot of times people hear, oh, immunotherapy, it's got to be benign. It's not necessarily. And so you always have to measure pros and cons. Um, I, I will say that in, thank you, that in, in centers that do a lot of this, and UCSF is one of them, these therapies are actually quite safe, and you just need to know what you're doing. Um, okay. The, the last thing I wanted to just generically tell you, and please fill out your forms, um, is that all of the questions that we're getting, we're obviously not getting them all, but we're saving them all, and we'll review them very carefully to help us design next year's symposium. Um, let's see. So let me ask you a question first, David. So um, would immunotherapy, since it's mostly been tested in patients with very advanced disease, would it make sense to do it, say, for climbing PSA after radical prostatectomy? Um, so absolutely. I think um, a number of us, including Dr. Small and myself, see patients who have rising PSAs, no metastases. So I think there's often a question of if you go earlier, especially for these, as Eric said, very well-tolerated therapies, is there some benefit? So I would say there's no strong evidence as of yet, um, but you know I think a number of people are trying a lot of these therapies, including checkpoint inhibitors, Provenge, in earlier disease settings. Um, so I would say stay tuned. Um, and uh, you know, for example, we're happy to help you sort out what's out there, basically. Actually, I, I should have said this at the outset, um, and David, you were too modest, but. Um, uh, UCSF has been in the middle of this. So UCSF actually developed Provenge. The first time Provenge ever went into a patient was here. Uh, the first time ipilimumab, Yervoy, was ever used in the patient, it was here. Jim Allison just won a Nobel Prize uh, in medicine for his work in immunotherapy based on work that was initiated here as part of a SPORE program that Peter and I ran. So we, we certainly have our hands in it. Um, David, what... There's a number of questions around this, but what's the big barrier here? What's the big barrier to developing immunotherapy that is as successful as it's been in melanoma, say, in prostate cancer, if you could summarize briefly? Right. So I think we're still understanding this. Um, as Dr. Small said, I think the targets are an issue, finding really good targets for the immune system. I think the other problem is that what we're learning is that tumors, um, they span a range. So some of them are very immune active, like melanoma. So there's a ton of immune activation. A lot of immune cells make it in there. For various reasons, I think prostate cancer doesn't stimulate the immune system quite as much. So we have a lot of barriers to overcome to even kind of get the cells in there to make sure that they're active and they can do their job once they make it into the tumor. So I'd say both it's a targeting as well as just things about prostate tumors that are you know, not necessarily promoting immune activation. Yeah. Yeah, we, we think of uh, cancers as being either um, very immunologically active, so-called hot tumors, and cold tumors that just don't incite a big immune response, and prostate is one of those. Perhaps because there is so much normal prostate around, um, 
We, we don't know, but that's certainly a work that, that is going on in our labs. Um, okay, something about clinical trials, which Dr. Agarwal will answer. Um, can you very briefly uh, speak to uh, CAR-Ts? Someone, there's a couple questions. What, are, what is CAR-Ts? There's been a lot of press on them, and uh, just the, the, the basic principle of it. Yep. So, um, you know, Provenge, which has been well studied, as I mentioned, is an example of where you take the immune cells out and you just stimulate them in a dish uh, and you give them back. So what's called CAR-T therapy, which you might hear about, is the next generation of that, where you take the cells out and you kind of engineer or you hotwire them so that they're supercharged to try to recognize specific targets, and then you give them back to the patient. Um, this has had major advances in blood cancers like leukemias. Uh, for prostate cancer, I would say in general for solid tumors of any type, it's really been a challenge. So there are ongoing trials for prostate cancer, for example, with PSMA-targeted CAR T cells. I think the data is still kind of forthcoming, so we don't know. But a lot of people are very interested in this topic, yeah. Right. And then one, one last set of questions. This is... Um, addressing the use of immunotherapy, I guess, generically, but in certain groups of individuals. And I'll tell you what they are, because there's three different questions. One is when HIV is present. The second is when you have an autoimmune disorder like Crohn's disease or rheumatoid arthritis. Or, and the third is in African-American men. Yeah, so uh, a lot of things to cover. Um, you know, actually, um, these have all been studied in, in trials. So first, with HIV, at least for checkpoint inhibitors, there is some emerging data which has been presented that for a long time, HIV patients were excluded from these clinical trials. And now we know that actually it's, it's safe, that it doesn't necessarily affect viral control in HIV. And so if, they, if you're HIV and you have cancer, um, I think that with, you, this should be discussed with providers. But generally, it is quite safe, I think, as long as we have good control of the HIV. The second is autoimmune disease. Um, I think that, again, this is a provider decision. Um, the common sense thing here is if the autoimmune disease that already exists is not well controlled, that could be a problem. Again, there are people studying this. And in general, I think um, even if you have a pre-existing autoimmune disease, in some cases, I think it is safe to consider immune therapies. Um, what was the last? African so African-American men, um, this is still being studied um, um, as, uh, in general, I think, you know, um, you know, how the biology of prostate cancer in African-American men also differs. Um, there was some recently presented work for Provenge, so looking at men who have already received Provenge post-approval, and there may be some evidence that African-American men may benefit more uh, from this therapy and metastatic disease, um, but I think this requires much more study. So I, I think there will be some differences in response. Um, it's a, definitely an active area investigation. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.